You think you can take me? Come on. All right, 1937, and Todd Field, oh, and the ball, I kicked your ass. You kicked my ass. Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. Believe me, this man is a menace. He's always drinking, starting fights. Isn't that right? They're both grumpy old men. Why don't you do the world a favor and pull your lip over your head and swallow? <laughs> Idiot. Eat my shorts. So. So what? But after 50 years... What? ...of fighting over nothing... What? What? So? What? They finally found something... Holy... Oh, my God. Moly. ...worth fighting for. See, women get obsessed with me. It's like one of them fatal attraction things. Jack Lemon. Your cat crapped on my steps again. Yeah, who says you can't train a cat? Walter Matthau. Why would a woman come over at 1.30 in the morning to see you? Just why do you think, bonehead? Oh, my car. And Margaret. John, when was the last time you made love? October 4th. 1979. Grumpy old men. T9 word. Come on. I yeah, I'll take that. You like to take? Yeah. yeah. I love T9 work. I want it to take at least a minute to type one text message. That's how I roll. That's how I, I mean, do things. Talking about this, it makes me feel like, you know, I'm not just hip to this current generation. I feel like, you know, I'm just like an old man. You know, I feel like I'm not quite with it. I'm just living my own life. Well, I mean, you're uh, 67 years old, so <laughs> I wouldn't... <laughs> You sound great. Your voice sounds great. Yeah, no, it's yeah. My voice sounds younger than that. But you're yeah, you're no. very old in yeah. person. Very old. Yes, abs- I'm very old. <laughs> very, very old. <laughs> very old and very grumpy. So um, mm-hmm. it was the right time to record this episode. Oh, all right. There's the segue <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> I had to figure I'm, it out. But. I'm glad I teed you up for this very long segue. <laughs> well, welcome back, everybody. This is Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And this is the podcast where we take a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today. And right now, we are smack in the middle of our, our Reconcinimations winter wonderland mm-hmm. and it's been a, a, a magical journey so far you, you, I, let what run down what we've had so far well we've had a few movies right now uh and we're going to continue through the season um you know just before this episode we had cliffhanger cliffhanger the 90s classic actioner with our boy uh, Sly Stallone making his fifth appearance on the show at this point. I don't even know. Fourth. He's got to be like the leading 
He's got to be almost our leading man. I know. At this point, like, we were doing sly movies left and right, and that's fine. And then before <laughs> that, you know, we kicked off the new year um, with a simple plan with uh, yeah. Bill Paxton and uh, Billy D. Williams. Is that is that who it is? Uh, no. Billy D. Williams, yes. Billy D. Williams. <laughs> yeah, great tag team. <laughs> um, no, I mean Bobby, Bobby D. Johnson. Bobby D. Thornton. Bobby D. Thornton, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, we... <laughs> <laughs> We've been having a great time uh, doing the '90s re- the re- '90s Winter Wonderland action. Yep. No, is it action? What do we call it's, it? No, it's no, it's just uh, '90s Winter Wonderland. That's yeah. all. It's just um, conflict. You know, we, love we, the '90s loved wintry movies, and sure. uh, we we decided to take a look back at some of them. And there's I'm, plenty more, but uh, we're gonna. We've chosen four that we're going to focus on, and, and like David said, it was simple plan. Uh, we get our you know crime drama there. We get our action movie with Sylvester Stallone's cliffhanger, and uh, now we're going to take a look at uh, a '90s comedy, Grumpy Old Men. Grumpy Old Men. I love to laugh. Let's talk about it. <laughs> uh, before we get to that, though, and, and this was okay. I guess. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know, the timing was interesting that we started looking at this movie and I think it was the night after I I watched it again, uh, we we lost the great legendary Buck Henry. Yeah. Who's who's got a small role in this movie and it was it was kind of weird, strange timing. But uh, Buck Henry was a, you know, an unsung, I don't know if he was an unsung hero, but he was a. Uh, you know, a, a huge, very important writer in the 60s and 70s in the comedy world and, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in front of the camera, too, on Saturday Night Live and eventually uh, moved back to just the writing side of uh, the business through the 80s and 90s. But mm-hmm. he had some, you know, a hand in some very, very big films and uh, was a really important piece of the of the 70s and if anyone is a saturday night live fan uh i like that's buck henry and, and steve martin were the guys that got me into saturday night live to begin with yeah yeah uh, he, uh, he hosted the show i i want to say uh i want to say it was 10 times but, in so. the first five seasons and uh never hosted again he hosted the last episode of season five which was like the farewell for Bill Murray and Gilda Radner and, and that whole crew. And he never, he made one appearance on the 15th anniversary special and that was it. But it was a very, you know, important part of that show and was in many of the uh, most famous skits and a lot of stuff with John Belushi and the samurai. And, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately he did a, a perverted uncle character that really is, does not age well, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of other, you know, great monologues and uh, just just great character actor and and uh, uh, it's a it's a loss for the business and and uh, we're all gonna miss Buck Henry. It is a loss for the business. It <laughs> is. No, I mean, I, 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 you're right. I mean, you're right. It's it's like no. I mean, it's Hollywood's loss. It's comedy's loss. Um. For me, for Buck Henry, I realized like the eight for me in the eighties was uh, a big time because that's when I was catching up on the old Saturday Night Lives. That's when I was watching 
get smart on Nick at night. Um, and you know, seeing Mel Brooks's name on it, on the opening credits for it. And then not quite understand like Buck Henry, who he was also in those opening credits. It's like, I love get smart. It's, that was one of like, it was, you know, the, the naked night comedies in the early eighties when it launched, um, helped define a lot of my comedic tastes. Um, which totally, is, yeah. which is funny, like, because, um, it, it was, it was get smart. It was the monkeys. It was SCTV. Um, those were the things I really liked. And I, I, at that time, I don't know why I loved them, I think. Um, but I just knew that this was funny and it was, it was funnier than the stuff I was even getting on network TV where I might be watching Growing Pains as a child because I don't know it's on TV, but yeah. but the Nick and Knight stuff, the stuff that was happening uh, in those later hours, and uh, you know Buck Henry was uh, more influential than I thought, and of course I always remember those Samurai episodes. I remember those sketches with him in there. Yeah, the one what... where you, the one where he got hit in the head for real. <laughs> yeah, and got, yeah, got, he's bleeding That's... out. Yeah, <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> But just and then like watching and then seeing the graduate for the first time years later, um, and then just I think I was I don't I think I was like oh what like Buck Henry was part of like this is his movie like I, I had no idea you know you don't know what you don't know until you see yeah. it and um, the fact that he was in this movie and and just jumping ahead a little like the first time I ever saw Grumpy Old Men was a couple weeks ago in preparation for our podcast. And I was so pleasantly surprised that Buck Henry like opened the movie with them. Uh, to, yeah, to he's like just... in the very first scene. I mean, yeah. it starts with him. It starts with him, and I was just like, "Oh, Buck Henry, I love him. This is great." Yeah. Um, but so yeah, this was. Uh, it, it, I literally, I think I saw Grumpy Old Men within a day or two of his passing. Um, I don't know when which end of it, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a strange. It's a you know this is what we continue to deal with, like the, the greats of Hollywood uh, film and television, you know, we, we keep losing them. And, um, you know, this was something, this movie was, I, I think, sort of serendipitous to be talking about uh, the, the, the stars of this film and, and the great, the great talent attached. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Rest in peace. Buck Henry. Yeah. And, and do yourself a favor if you if you're not familiar with Buck Henry's work, I mean definitely see The Graduate. I mean it's that's one of the iconic movies of the 60s and and lasted for generations. Uh definitely see that. Uh, Heaven Can Wait, which he wrote and directed, Catch 22, uh let's see what else uh To Die For, if, going all the way into the 90s. I mean that To Die For is a great like dark dark comedy. Mhm. And I think one it's got a very very young Joaquin Phoenix. So, oh okay, yeah yeah. If you haven't seen any of those, definitely check them out for sure. Hmm. But um, segueing now back to uh, what we're here for, we're talking about Grumpy Old Men, nineteen ninety three. Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, one of the greatest. I mean, when you talk about great comedy duos. Uh, I mean, number one, you talk about uh, Diner and Munchak. That's number one. Usually starts the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) As everyone listening knows. Uh, But God, there's been so many great comedy duos over the years. And 
Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy, Cheech and Chong. I mean, I'm going to say Aykroyd and Belushi, mm-hmm. even though only a couple movies together, but a long, long time span. Uh, and then, you know, Lemon and Mathau are, are right up there. I mean, they're right up there with they're yeah. up there with Burns and, and Allen. They're right up there with uh, yeah. Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Grace and Frankie, the one of the hottest comedy duos <laughs> you guys know come on <laughs> will and grace <laughs> gwen and stacy you got Turner me. and hooch <laughs> oh my god stop Why or my mom going? will shoot um hard castle and mccormick i mean it doesn't stop Franklin and Bash. <laughs> <laughs> we just we we moved over to TV somewhere in there. Well, you know, these are the great comedy duos of our time: yeah. silver screen or small screen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no grumpy old men, Mathau and Lemon. Whew, whew! What a party! This is a great movie, right? Yeah. Are we, are and, we just am I just gonna spoil my 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 feelings right now? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Because I, well, I, I I can't hide it. I really enjoyed this one. It's funny because I uh, I remember so the I, the first time I remember seeing it was uh, similar to Cliffhanger, back in the days of the old pay per view, uh, mm. seeing it on a uh, one of those cable systems and and you know they would run these things like back to back to back like we talked about on that episode and so I think I saw this movie like several times within a couple of days because I was just, you know, there was not much else on. And uh, I was, I, I loved it. The first time I saw it, I thought it was hilarious. And I didn't think I was going to like it. Mm-hmm. The You know, back then I was like, oh, old, old guys? No. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know much about them at the time. Yeah, uh, I think I had just seen Matthew and Dennis the Menace. And that was kind of most of what I knew him from. Mm-hmm. I had seen Odd Couple when I was like six or something, and I, I barely remembered it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't gotten into the Jack Lemon dramatic stuff yet. But uh, no, it was funny, and and uh, I enjoyed it. And the thing I remembered most <laughs> that stuck with me was those outtakes at the end. Oh, my God. I, I, I didn't know those were going to be there, and they're so delightful. <laughs> After, you know, post-credits scene or, you know, credits bloopers. And it yeah. was so fun. Like, these guys were having fun making this movie. This was great. Yeah, and that, the, you know, the Burgess Meredith dialogue and Walter Matthau in the bathtub. Like, those, those uh, I remembered those more than the actual movie itself. Yeah. Um, was this, this feels like this was one of the first movies to do that kind of blooper reel over the credits. Uh. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't speak to that either way. I mean, I know that became more that in the '90s. Seeing that, yeah, like you would see. Yeah, I guess yeah, so. I, I don't know. If I this just. Is... I just don't remember much. I'm sure there was something before this that did it, but yeah, this is the like. I remember it ha- happening a lot after this movie. Sure. Well, like you know, if, that's the thing with comedy. Comedy. Here's me educating you on comedy. Yeah, there's so please. much that uh, there there's so much that can end up on the cutting room floor that isn't going to make it to the final cut. You know that, uh, but there's still some gems out there, and it's like kind of a shame that those things will never see the light of day. Yeah. And, you know, pre DVD. I mean, I guess VHS 
had did they have special like after the show speech sometimes yeah Yeah, i guess they did depending on the length of the movie and how much was left literally on the videotape or if they're big movies they would give them a second tape and then you'd have those block like double video cassette uh you know yeah tapes so but like it's a it, it was a nice little gift to the audience to see like these guys who these scenes were funny the the script was funny what they were doing and ad-libbing or just having fun with we got to share in that and you know you saw that on tv sitcoms a lot in the 90s you know just the sort of the funny moments that didn't make because people breaking character because it's so funny people just enjoying it um or just alternate takes uh that you saw in this movie all of that and it's it's funny because um you know, not everything that is cut is worth another view. You know, I remember right. when the the DVD of UHF, uh, Weird Al was like, "Well, you can you can buy the DVD, and we've got all these deleted scenes, but they were deleted for a reason." You know, and it's just sort of like, and that's sort of the the thing with a lot of the the DVD Blu-ray uh, things of it all. Like these deleted scenes are interesting to see, but are totally unnecessary, not entertaining or informative. And uh, based on, you know, the final cut of the movie, you realize, you know, a director and editors, they, they, they figure out like this doesn't this doesn't progress the story further. So we don't need it. We're going to cut it. Um, but to have fun, to show the jokes, to show the the the, the, the takes that are just uh, the, these like geniuses just having fun together. I mean, what a what a joy. What a what a bonus uh, to watch this film and see that. And I'm sure there was a ton more, too. I mean, they, you know, knowing these guys and how well they knew each other. And uh, there had to be just so much, you know, riffing on the dialogue that they they did. But uh, maybe one day they'll uh, come out with a grumpiest old man just with unused footage from the first two movies. Yeah, maybe maybe some... Real upstart producer is gonna, you know, take the take the original dailies from, yeah, the two movies and then and, and and cobble together something amazing. Pull them out of Technicolor, and I smell a lemon and Mathau comeback in 2021. Get ready, here we go. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> um. So, yeah. geez, wow, yeah. So now we know where you and I were when we first saw these films. Yeah, years ago, me very recently. But you the were fun- you were in the Golden Tower mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was in the and I was in our theater space, uh, the, our our eight hundred and sixty seat theater in the top of the Golden Tower. Yeah, where and exclusive I was, films are shown. I was going to say I I was looking from my office at Recon Cinema Studios. I was looking up to where your tower is. Mm-hmm. And the way you've—I know there's a lot of construction going on, but it's starting to look like Cloud City, like you are building your own Cloud City above Recon Cinema Studios. I don't know what else is going on up there, but there might be. Let's call it homage right now. <laughs> okay, there might be an homage going on in the design. <laughs> And construction. I, I'm saw, not gonna... I thought I saw a sign that said Munchak's Cloud City <laughs> mm. just being put up, but that's maybe that, maybe it's temporary. That should be taken down if that's still out there. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make a call. Eduardo <laughs> Take the sign down. The Cut sign. that out. Cut the sign. Cut that out. Cut this out. Don't, we can't let them know I know. Um anyway, yeah, no. Uh <laughs> so 
we it's it's funny yeah i think when i was a kid and saw that this was coming out it was like oh this is for my parents this yes this movie's not for me you know i'm not i don't understand the comedy of old men who at the time were well in their 60s or and beyond um you know i'm young i'm hip i watch fox kids i watch nickelodeon like yeah you know it's i don't know time for x-men okay yeah yeah but um you know <laughs> This was uh this was not something that I was going to be lining up for. Um, I have no idea if my folks ever saw it or anything like that. I, I feel like they might have, um, but I have no idea. Like this was not something that ended up in our library of VHS tapes, along with our Three Stooges videos, which I was very insistent on having. Um, but no, yeah, this is uh this this I, and I remember a lot of hullabaloo. I remember a lot of talk about this, like this pairing these guys now at this age here yeah. was like a big deal like this it was, was a big huge, deal yeah yeah like this was like legends reuniting after so many things together um so it was more like even the pop culture like uh effect that more so than the movie itself that was just like no 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 they're back they're, they're like this is it like everyone yeah. can experience this now a new generation can experience them it got pushed pretty hard yeah um but i missed um, out i missed out what can i say do you think that the uh, third Grumpy Old Men movie is going to win the Oscar this year? <laughs> yep. Yep. Nope. It's definitely. I think. Uh, I think it's a strong chance. Yeah. Grumpiest old men, the Grumpiest. Irishman. Yes, absolutely. That's the one. <laughs> congratulations! Oh congratulations! As of this recording, uh, the Oscar nominations are out, and uh, Netflix has the most nominations of any studio. <laughs> yeah. holy shit so insane (laughs) insane Uh, um but i i have no commentary on that i don't know if that's good or bad i'm not gonna be like i don't know i i can't have anything it's funny though scorsese puts a movie out in netflix gets all these nominations all this and then he's gonna have a lot to say about viewers flocking to let's just say pop culture um you know uh uh not pop culture. They're flocking to the big money makers, right? Like right. the big, the big, the big studio blockbuster CGI fests, and but he's using new media in a sense to uh, for for one of his outlets, and I don't think he's going to shy away from the awards and all of that. But oh no, no. So does Scorsese have a problem with the kinds of movies, or does he have a problem with the audiences who are going to those movies? I don't and know if he knows. And well, that's the you know, and that's what's interesting about it is just uh, I, I had some insight from a friend of mine who very much like yourself, very un, very much understands the the business of film um, and sort of where film resides and sort of the the culture in America particularly. And it's you know, if if you're gonna have a lot of negative things to say about people who will line up to see. Once again, Marvel movies being mentioned in our podcast. But, Marvel. you know, Marvel, lots of money being thrown at Marvel movies. Does he have a problem with Marvel movies? Does he, Or does he have a problem with the audience who goes to those Marvel movies? Because those are two different things. And yeah. I, think, I think more so, more people are lining up for what he sees as inferior products. Um, but, it, I don't know, does that make his product better? Because he's not... You know, I don't know. He's not the number yeah. one guy. I don't know. What is that? You know, he. You know, it's it's funny because he didn't have a problem when Star Wars came out. 
Right. Yeah, like, is you he know? just shitting and on that everything? Changed, and that changed literally, like, started destroying what they were doing in the 70s. And, yeah. Uh, but that one wasn't a problem, so. Yeah, I mean. But the Avengers is a huge problem. Yeah. But, again, it's like, it's sort of like, it's not, <clears throat> it's not, he wants to couch it in the, the product as the problem instead of the fact that the audience are reacting to it, you know? It's like, yeah. well, that's not that's not the audience's fault that they're going to see a bunch of things that that they aren't entertained by. And a lot of times people go to the movies to be entertained and right. not to and even if it's a great artistic work, it's still entertaining and they're still right. seeing something. It's not about like I need mindless entertainment because I would never classify you know, all of the things. I mean, 90% of the stuff that's out there is like, you know, people want to do a good job. People want to entertain other people. You know, they, yeah. these, these writers, directors, producers, they, sure, there's a business aspect to it, but listen, let's get a re, let's give them a reason to come into our seat, into the theater, see these things. Uh, so is it the product or is it the people? And apparently this is like, I don't know. I feel like maybe uh, my friend is right. Like the, the idea of, people lining up to see these CGI blockbuster fests. It's not a problem with the product. It's just that he hates that people are not like lining up for his stuff instead. And yeah. you know, and that's, that's tough. That's a tough situation to see like why people go to the cinema. Um, but with any great thing that any great art, uh, any great uh, medium, there's going to be things that sort of hit a zeitgeist and, bring in the masses not necessarily being the originators or um uh, uh, uh the reason you come to you the reason you go there i mean listen Com- conan o'brien has a wonderful podcast i love his podcast he won like best comedy podcast this year great that that's wow. amazing and he's really funny and he is a legend he's a, he's hilarious is it the funniest podcast that's out there i don't know it, I don't know if that's true. I mean, there's been pod, comedy podcasts has been doing this for twelve years, and uh, I don't know. But he's definitely I, the most I think, popular. I think we know what the number one podcast is, and you can find it at <laughs> www.reconsinimation.com every other every other Monday. Are we a brand comedy? new episodes? <laughs> Are we a comedy podcast? <laughs> I don't even. I think I don't we're think very. Anyone would say that, but uh. we're very amused with ourselves. But listen, what amused me was Mathow and Lemon. Let me tell you, <laughs> yeah. this was what I came for, and I was very pleased. Yeah. Uh, so it was written by Mark Stephen Johnson, and somewhere in the early '90s, while he was still uh, uh, in film school in college. Uh, got it, you know, another script that uh, he got it kind of shuffled around and eventually got, you know, made a deal to uh, get it produced. And and it, the whole thing is based on his own life in the actual Wabasha, Minnesota, and based on his, you know, I, I believe he is the, uh, the Jacob character, which is played by Kevin Pollack. I think that was more of him mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, his dad and his dad's, you know, friend slash rival and just the, the life of the town that they uh, that they lived in. And uh, and this was the beginning of a solid career for him. And, you know, we'll talk about the sequel that was sort of phoned in, but, mm. uh, and <laughs> you know, mostly just a cash grab, but as many sequels are. Uh, but yeah, this was the start of his career. 
Uh, Grumpy Old Men was directed by Donald Petrie, who was a big, big TV director. He'd done a bunch of L.A. Laws and Equalize, The Equalizer, and uh, he did uh, a, f- a few movies, Mystic Pizza, Opportunity mm-hmm. Knocks, which I know is one of David Munchak's favorite movies. Love it, love it. <laughs> and uh, kind of rolling into this one, he had done uh, a couple episodes of a show called The Heights. Do you mm-hmm. remember that show? I don't. It was a 90210 spinoff. Oh. It was, it was of the two 90210 spinoffs, it was the failed one. Oh. What was the other? Oh, Melrose Place? Is that Melrose the Place, yeah. That was actually a spinoff? Melrose Place? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I figured it lived in the same universe, but I didn't know it was like... They introduce characters and like well they because they, they they introduced Grant Show's character on nine hundred two one zero and he was there for a few episodes and then he like moved into Melrose Place so, so it was all a setup ah uh, okay got it yeah um and then he did a, a couple episodes of Picket Fences which is another small town uh you know kind of a show about the all these characters who who are in this one particular town which is a great segue into this movie and yeah I, i'm a sucker for small town movies mm. small town usa you know yeah so where where the city or place is not necessarily a character like new york right or new orleans or narlins narlins <laughs> Nolans. Miami. <laughs> is that <laughs> uh, the, where the characters are, are inhabiting a place and at the focus and not really the the uh, the setting is the biggest deal. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, usually you get these interesting character pieces and, you know, maybe it's that, you know, we live in the big city. So sometimes I get tired of it and uh, yearn mm-hmm. for the quiet life in, in small town USA, which is not to say that they don't have things going on there. It's just a different pace and a different attitude, you know. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, interesting casting possibilities the the going into this of who we're going to play these characters mm. and the lead contenders were uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis a big what? reunion of that comedy team mm-hmm. uh, which yeah I don't know what this would have been like if they had been if it had been those guys geez wow yeah I don't even know that would that would be a very different movie I think right yeah I think it probably would have been successful. I don't know how good it would have been, but I think people would have come to see the reunion of them, you know, getting back together for the first time in 30 years or 35 years or something. Yeah. I uh, mean, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I mean like, and like Dean Martin, I mean, Jack Lemon is or Walter Matthau is what I think the oldest of the two, right? Like he's, yes. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Matthau is like 73. When the movie came out, I think Dean yeah. Martin probably would have been seventy-five or seventy-six, and that's Some, a, something like that. Something yeah. like that. So I mean, um, already showing their age, but like the the sort of the the, I guess I mean it's it's more about the duo. It's not a, like it's right. It's a solid story. I think we can agree. Like the movie probably itself is a probably solid story that actually works with the characters as they're written, and then just you know the 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 conflict that they have. 
but like to have Martin and Lewis together would be such a interesting, <laughs> interesting way to go. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it would have the same charm. It would certainly be resonating with generations, um, just like this one does. This one res- resonated for audiences who have been used to seeing those two together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Wow, I didn't I, know that. I don't, you know, I don't remember the last de- movie that Dean Martin did. I'm sure it was, you know, maybe in the early 80s. Um, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I love Dean's Mar- Dean Martin's music. Big fan. Mm-hmm. But his acting, I don't think is, you know, the most amazing acting in the world. So right. I think, you know, Lemon and Mathow was a better choice because of that. And he would have... It would have been so long since he's done a movie and it ended up not working out because of health reasons. He was just, you know, he was in decline. Dean Martin was in declining health and Jerry Lewis has the telethon all the time. And and you remember those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, uh, you know, Jerry Lewis got to handle it, I think. But it was uh, Dean Martin, I think, only died like a a couple years later. He died right after the sequel came out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, not that, not that that means anything, but like you said, his health was in decline. He's certainly probably not quite ready to perform. I'm just double checking here. The last thing he does with like an actor credit, um, was in, (laughs) I mean, he did cannonball run and cannonball run two. So cannonball run two is in 1984. Yeah. I was going to say like 83 ish. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like 10 years before was his last like acting credit. Uh, I guess he has a TV a TV role uh, a TV movie Half Nelson uh, came out a year in '85, but yeah. I, I don't know how uh, involved he was. So it's just uh, you know you're you're kind of pushing it, I, but I can see why it might be that would be the dream thing. You know, the people making this movie like let's get the comedy duos, the classics together. Yeah, well, it's uh, a smart gimmick. It's a smart sure. gimmick to have to sell the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so and it, but it, it works with Math Allen Lemon for sure, right? Totally, yeah. And they've, I, you know, so let's let's talk a little bit about each of them individually, and then we'll talk about how they kind of paired up. And and this is, you know, they they ended up doing uh, ten projects together as uh-huh. a team, and a couple of other, you know, uh, w- w- movies where they're like both in it but not in it at the same time, so it mm. doesn't really count towards that stat um jack lemon uh grew up in massachusetts he was a apparently he was a very sickly child and ended up spending about two years in the in and out of hospitals uh you know on and off about two years and got into acting i think he was about eight years old when he started acting and just started doing plays uh eventually went to harvard and he became the president of the Hasty Pudding Club. Oh, wow. Which, yeah. And uh, I think got himself into trouble there. <laughs> but he, um, he wasn't a very good student, so his grades were suffered. And, and he, wasn't, uh, he was really not doing well to the point that he was banned from acting in any school plays because he couldn't get his grades up. Mm-hmm. So his workaround was he just used a pseudonym and did it anyway. Oh, names you... like Timothy Orange. <laughs> like he would appear in school productions and things like that as Timothy yeah, Orange. <laughs> as Timothy Orange, <laughs> brilliant. That's brilliant. 
They would never figure it out. Yeah, who is this guy? <laughs> he clearly goes here. Yeah. Uh, he eventually joins the Navy uh, during World War II. Um, once that is, uh, you know, wrapped up and is concluded, he's back in the acting circle and eventually makes it to Broadway. He uh, is is catches the eye of Max Arnau, who is a who is high up in the in Columbia Pictures, and uh, he definitely was wanting to sign Jack to a contract and. Jack eventually made a deal with Harry Cohn, who was the head of the studio. Uh, and Harry wanted to change Jack Lemon's name because he didn't want people to think like, like Lemon was not a derogatory term, but like saying something was bad. Wow. So yeah, it would, it would, you know, he just didn't think that made him look good to have that as his name. So, uh, but eventually they worked out a deal and, and Jack was insistent on keeping his, his actual name and, uh, probably a very successful choice for him because it's a it's a catchy name, Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. Yeah. Jack Lemon. Yeah. No, I get it. I'm, I'm in. Uh, Lemon hooks up with uh, Billy Wilder, one of the great American comedy directors and just you know directors of all time. Really, he um, had Billy Wilder is somebody we should talk about at some point on this show, but. He was one of the few directors who could balance doing great dramatic movies and great, like, slapsticky comedies. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack Lemmon was in seven of his films Jeez, and wow. was, one of, was one of his main players throughout his career. And uh, they were a great, you know, actor-director pairing. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack eventually got into... Here's a little little trivia note. Jack got into producing, and one of the uh, biggest movies that he produced was uh, actually Cool Hand Luke. Oh, really? Yeah, So, uh, which I did not realize. Huh. And Paul Newman, as a thank you for, for you know, help really, like, cementing Paul Newman as a star, Cool Hand Luke was, like, his signature piece, uh, he offered Jack the Sundance Kid role for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh wow! Which would have been crazy. It would have been wow. weird. Wow! Well, I just I I can't see Paul Newman and Jack Lemmon together <laughs> like that. But it wisely, worked. wisely, Jack turned it down and eventually went to Robert Redford. And yeah, history was made. History was made. Oh wow! Huh? But yeah. So by the time Lemon and Mathau connect, Lemon is deeply entrenched in the Billy Wilder world. So. Yeah. Uh, Walter Matthau grew up in the Lower East Side in New York City. Uh, he started acting at Jewish and Yiddish sleepaway camps over the summers. Right. Yeah. So that's where that's where he made his bones. Um, <laughs> he uh, eventually also went to went into World War II. He joined the Air Force, and he was a radio man and a gunner. And he actually served in the same group as Jimmy Stewart. Oh wow! Can you picture that? Like Matt military group, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's that's comedy gold right there. Walter Matthau on the radio and Jimmy Stewart on the you know yeah. on the gunship. Like, yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's something else. Wow, I had no idea. Just picture the two of them in like a World War II bomber, like yelling at each other up there. Yeah, making jo cracking jokes, <laughs> being all 
being all uh, ornery and, and funny and goofy. Right. <laughs> but and, they were in the, uh, the apparently they were served in the Battle of the Bulge. So they, wow. Ma- Mathau was much more, you know, right in the thick of it in World War Two. Yeah. Jeez, wow. Uh, he eventually gets the staff sergeant, and then the once the war ends, he goes uh, back to New York and joins up with the new school where he, you know, kind of hones his craft. He starts uh, most of his early roles were as villains, hmm. and it's uh, I, the first thing I remember seeing him in is this movie called this Burt Lancaster movie called The Kentuckian, and he's like this you know, guy who's starting a fight with Lancaster and he's got this whip and it's very like action heavy. Wow. And it's just strange to see Walter Matthau look like quite so young. Yeah. I, bet. I mean, he never looked, you know, he had that face or he always looked older, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's in an Elvis movie called King Creole. He's in a face in the crowd and fail safe and really, um, really doing the villain role as best he could and, and quite well in certain movies. Uh, the, he hooks up with Neil Simon and they start doing the odd couple on Broadway, which eventually led to the movie, but we'll get there in a second. Sure. Uh, and on, on Broadway it was, uh, it was Walter Matthau and Art Carney from the honeymooners. Oh yeah, yes, yes. That's right. So that was, that was the original pairing of uh, Oscar and Felix. But uh, the, the first time Matthau and Lemon connect is, uh, is on another Billy Wilder movie called The Fortune Cookie. Yeah. Did you, did you get a chance to watch that? No, I've been meaning to get my, my hands on that. And I, uh, ever, since we, ever since I prepared for this uh, episode, and, it was, and I did not get a chance. But uh, tell me about that. Fortune Cookie is a... Uh, <laughs> It's, I, you know, it's. I, I wouldn't say it's one of Billy Wilder's best comedies, but it's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great, Matthau especially. Um, he actually won Best Supporting Actor. He won an Oscar for this. So oh wow! He's if a, uh, if you're a Matthau fan, which I'm sure if you're listening this far into the show, you probably are. Yeah. Um, but he, Jack Lemon, plays a cameraman who. Uh, is on the sidelines at a football game and and gets hit by a player and gets you know a concussion gets knocked out and when he wakes up he's in the hospital and Walter Matthau is his brother-in-law who is this shyster lawyer who concocts this scheme that they're going to get all this money out of uh the you know the the football team and uh they're you know he makes it seem like Jack is much more gravely injured and it becomes a big deal. And, uh, Matthau is just fantastic as this smarmy scheming, you know, you know, nasty lawyer. Mm. I got to see this. Yeah. It's, it's great. And, And lemon is the tortured soul who, you know, isn't really hurt, but feels bad because now they got the football player who hit him. His career is kind of, uh, not over, but he is uh, struggling and just is really unfocused because of all the guilt that he feels. So, wow. and the lawyers that are uh, that Walter Matthau's character is going after have hired these private eyes to follow them and and try to catch them in the act and prove that they're uh, they're making it all up. And 
you know, kind of wackiness ensues like most of the Billy Wilder comedies. It's uh, it's fun. It's a good it's a it's a great movie. And it was interesting to see the very first time these guys paired up. Oh, that was their first one, right? Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then they uh, then they ended up doing the odd couple movie together, which uh, was a lot different than I remembered it. I remembered it being more slapsticky, much funnier than when I rewatched it recently, then I realized, um, you know, the whole opening is 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 uh, Jack Lemon's character being suicidal. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, a lot slower slower pace than I remembered it. Yeah, I mean, I it, going back to my Naked Night days, uh, the Odd Couple with uh, Tony Randall and uh, Jack Klugman that. Yeah. Uh, that was the sh- that's what I was used to, um, and it was like like learning this show, and then the the comedy of that, and then knowing oh like I what there's a movie like there's a play like, and then seeing the movie or seeing bits of the movie and like well that's not my Oscar that's not my Felix I was like actually like not into it like you know trying to if I caught it on you know TV or something so. Um, I didn't realize like the it was important to see the origins like you know where this came from because the Odd Couple TV show allowed those characters to breathe a lot more and uh, have a lot of like you know zaniness and all of that yeah um, but uh, so yeah I mean the, so for me and then watching I actually watched the Odd Couple after watching Grumpy Old Men um, and I didn't realize how much of that film I had seen before. Um, and you can see how very stagey, very, how much it's very much a play, you know, in the, in the way it's written and, and presented. Um, but, uh, but that's what makes it work. Cause it's fast and it's, it's the, the comedy just kind of clips, are, clips along and the performances yeah. have to match it like the way it's written. Um, yeah. and it's very particular, but it's succinct and that's it's it's by the end you, you know you you've you've gone through a whole arc for both of these characters um and uh it works really well and they they're fantastic together in this they really are i mean they the you know and they're very intense in this movie and uh uh it just works so well i mean you can you can really feel how their 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 connection is working yeah i think it's funny cuz it's like we're used to so much in the modern day uh the, these comedy characters being sort of um, ingrained with a quirk or a, a, a style or something that it's almost, uh, um, I don't know, what's the word? It's sort of uh, trying to be, I don't know. Well, you, you can tell the difference when, when you know, two actors have that real, uh, that real energy together and that real connection and when they don't and when it's forced and it's just... Yeah, two individual actors, you know, being put in a scene together. Whereas these guys feel like one unit who is all working hand in hand. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like they're and, and the thing is, both characters seem fully realized uh, in in the odd couple. They're very like uh, who they, they they know who they are. They don't apologize for who they are, and they don't ha- they don't play up the comedy or the silliness or the zaniness. Where you know, sort of a you know, an audience member might be sort of the normal person looking at them who can relate to these characters, but also, well, I'm not like that. I'm not like, there's no extreme. 
there's not so much of an extreme to these characters. So they bring a lot of um, depth and, uh, uh, you know, being grounded uh, to it. And they couldn't be so, they couldn't be more different. And it actually works. Uh, whereas like the sitcom of the show of the Out couple, it's it's a little more forced or a little more heightened. And it works because, you know, it's 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 easy to get to those jokes because you need a lot of jokes to keep you oh, interested. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I can see how like their rapport together would have evolved over time and just allowed them to be who they are when they do grumpy old men. Like they, these guys understand playing, you know, these polar opposites or just people in conflict. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great movie. Uh, I recommend if you haven't seen The Odd Couple in a while, I would, you would check it out. And it does, and it's amazing how I think obviously this is the one that really pairs with Grumpy Old Men the best. I mean, yeah. it does feel like this is the first time that they met. <laughs> you know, they could very <laughs> much be the same characters. Yeah, yeah, they really could be Oscar and Felix together yeah. again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was part of the thing with Grumpy Old Men was to really call back to this to this particular movie to the Odd Couple. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, great performances. I mean, again, I'm I'm kind of like like I always love Jack Lemmon, but I'm kind of really into Walter Matthau too. Who also, sure. by the way, this is his second appearance on uh, Reconsideration as well. That's true. That's right. We talked about him in Bad Boys. Is that right? Uh, bad, boys bad Boys for Life. Yeah, yeah. Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did that uh, cop movie, Bad Boys. Uh, <laughs> Walter Matthau starring in that. Yeah. Uh, which you can find in the archives. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> bad oh, News Bears. Bad News Bears. Oh, I'm archives. sorry. Okay, got it. <laughs> I was thinking of the other podcast I host by myself and don't right. record. <laughs> yeah. Where, and it, it's every title has to have bad in it. So. Yeah, it's all it's the bad Munchak uh, podcast, <laughs> <laughs> the bad show with David Munchak. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, bad news bears back in. Uh, oh well, I think that I think that's in this season. It's in season two. Back at www.reconcinemation.com. That could be right. Last summer, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I had many positive things to say. So yeah. if you want to tune in and see why I just love baseball movies, you know. Give it a shot. <laughs> uh, so they, after The Odd Couple, which is a huge movie, uh, very successful you know, in their careers and financially and uh, a big hit, uh, which obviously spawned the, the television show uh, as well, they do another Billy Wilder movie called The Front Page. Actually, mm-hmm. I skipped something. Mm-hmm. They, Jack Lemmon directed a movie called Koch, which starred... Walter Matthau. Oh, that's right, in the seventies. So technically, that does that does count as one of their pairings. Oh, that's one of the ten pairings. Yes, I see. Uh, and then after that, with both of them being on screen, we've got the front page, uh, which I believe is nineteen seventy four, Billy Wilder film. Uh, and I think you know, Bill, not one of the strongest movies, but it's a really crazy movie about these. This group of uh, news reporters, of w- which is led by Jack Lemmon, and Walter Matthau is like the editor of the paper, who's this cantankerous, you know, J. Jonah Jameson type guy. Yeah. And 
Lemon is in love with his brand new wife, played by Susan Sarandon in Ooh. one of her first roles. Wow. Uh, huge age gap there. Yep. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's trying to get out of, he's like the Walter Matthau's best reporter, and he's trying to get out of it. And uh, this murder, this convicted killer is on death row. And uh, apparently the prison is right next to where their, their newspaper office is. And, um, they are covering his what's going to be his execution. He ends up escaping, and craziness just ensues. But it's got a great, a huge cast of uh, of characters, and Charles Durning is in it. Uh, um, who else? Carol Burnett. Uh, Carol Burnett's got a great small part in it. Oh. Uh, but just a whole whole bunch of actors uh, all working with Billy Wilder on this one. So. I wouldn't say it's one of his best, but if you're a Wilder fan and you haven't seen it, check it out. All right. Line up. Get it. Rent it's, it. It's yet another strong Mathau performance, too. I mean, Lemon's always solid, but I guess I just always underestimate Walter Mathau, and I should know to stop doing that. Well, he, he's very understated, uh, I think. I don't think he's... I think he, he brings so much gravitas to his characters that... Um, he it, it has to look like he's not doing anything, and you underestimate him the entire time, and it's just you don't realize how enthralled you are by what he's doing. I think that's that's kind of his deal, right? Like, yeah, he's not a performer. It doesn't, he, or at least he doesn't seem like a performer, you know. But of course he is, you know. He's, but uh, yeah, no, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, we should we should get some T-shirts going. You know, don't don't doubt the math owl. Don't doubt the math owl. Don't okay. doubt the math owl. You're trying to force a merch page on our yeah, website. I, am. I don't know. I'm I, not, I that was not organic at all. I'm not happy <laughs> with this. <laughs> I'm very upset that you did this. <laughs> Uh, so after after the front page, they take a little break and they'll work together again until 1981 with a movie called Buddy Buddy, which was a huge box office failure, creative failure, was did not work. Uh, and they've they've pretty much split and are going their separate ways with their their uh, solo careers, uh, of which they both had. An amazing run. I mean, Matha, we, we talked about Bad News Bears, but so many great roles over the years, uh, dramatic stuff and comedy. And Lemon, uh, so again, so many, like, I love The China Syndrome. That is a great movie. I want to talk about it on this show at some Ooh, point. We should. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, just, just a ton of great roles throughout the 70s 80s and all the way up into the 90s uh so they actually don't reconnect again until this movie grumpy old men so decades go by decades yes yeah decades. It's, it's it's about yeah about 20 years other than the one buddy buddy movie yeah. um uh before they pair together again that's so. amazing and you know this movie is kind of loaded with some an interesting cast Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Burgess Meredith, who actually goes way back with Lemon and Mathau. Yeah, he directed a play, and I, I forgot what which play it was, but uh, gave <clears throat> these guys their very early, some very early uh, theatrical roles. So um, 
you know, they have a, had a relationship and maybe that's how they got him cast in the movie was, uh, cause he had pretty much retired from acting at this point. He was very old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, you know, maybe it was a favor, a thank you back to him for helping get their career started. Uh, give him one more definitely memorable role as he's Jack Lemmon's father. Yeah. Yeah. He plays Jack Lemmon's father. And I, I, I believe there's about a 25 year age gap between them. So, uh, I believe Lemon was 68 when they shot this, and Mer- Burgess Meredith was like 93. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it works. Yeah, no, I think it, they, he really could have been his dad. He does very well with this. Uh, yeah, and he is Burgess Meredith is is uh, John Gustafson Senior. Uh, who is this uh, very horny and sassy old guy? Yeah, because there's nothing funnier than old guys being horny for for hot ladies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, we're gonna come back. We're gonna circle back to that in a minute. Yeah, but uh, playing their kids, who are you know a big part of this movie, they're kind of a bigger part of grumpier old men, uh, Daryl Hannah and Kevin Pollock. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, they're back in they're back in the sequel. I see. I haven't seen the sequel yet. <clears throat> yeah, I watched it. Uh, not a giant fan of it, but they're they're definitely playing a more central role in the in the second movie. But gotcha. um, uh, I I they're both great. I mean, Daryl Hannah was huge in the eighties with Splash and Blade Runner and Wall Street and over uh, not Overboard, uh, Roxanne. Yeah, Roxanne. Roxanne, I love that. Movie. You gotta, you love, you you have to love that movie. It's you, so good. You gotta love it. I'm a, I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, and Kevin Pollak, I remember the first time I remember seeing him was back in like ninety ninety one. He was doing stand up and he did a big uh, Columbo bit, but he also did a uh, uh, the one of the best William Shatner's I ever, I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I think that was. I think he's he might have popularized like the William Shatner impression, you know, like because a yeah. lot of a lot of I think I think today it's like anyone can do Shatner, right? But like he's the one that made it like very. It's his own spin on it. I, yeah. I that it's just it's just really good. He's just very funny. I mean, as a as a stand up, he's just funny. Like and uh, Apollo, yeah, I. I he, I forgot. I didn't realize he was in this movie. Honestly, I think. Yeah. And then it was like, oh yeah. Well, you I wouldn't for- know it. You wouldn't yeah. know it from the advertising. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like he's, I prim- I think I primarily would have associated with him as stand up, but he's acted in a million things. Like he, he, he was always busy, you know. And this was another one of those things. Yeah. Um, who else is in this? Ozzie Davis is, has a, a good role here. Buck Henry, who we spoke about, who plays. Sure. A uh, an IRS uh, representative who is coming after Jack Lemmon's character, John Gustafson, mm-hmm. uh, to you know, uh, there was a miscalculation of tax payments that we learn about later on in the movie, and Buck Henry's character is trying to you know get a meeting with with uh, with John Gustafson and get him down to their office so they can straighten it out, and he keeps. Gustafson's like avoiding him at all costs, and uh, they have a number of kind of funny run-ins with with Buck Henry. There's some weird uh, like slapsticky stuff going on. It's so yeah, weird. Like with the, the whole the ice on the roof, the snow on the roof, and yeah, like 
Why would <laughs> it's just funny, like like why why would you know Gustafson like go out the second floor window out the back? Like doesn't he have a back door? Like why didn't he just go out the back door? It's yeah. Just, nope, this, gotta go out the window. The and... window. Like yeah. it's so zany and wacky. Like, oh God, here's some here's some slapsticky stuff. Yeah. Uh it's, but it works. It's silly. It's fun. Who cares? <laughs> So that's kind of like a subplot throughout the movie is this IRS storyline that kind of keeps, you know, tapping in there here and there. But yeah, um, yeah, he's in trouble. He the, that that opens the movie that you know uh, John Gustafson is having trouble. He's he's gonna lose his house. He doesn't have the money. Uh, so that's his big conflict. You know, like it's just like he and he can avoid it. And then, you know, his nemesis lives two doors down or next door. Is it next door? Yeah, uh, yeah next door. Yeah, right next uh, door. With Walter Matthau as Max Goldman. So, uh, you know, it's uh, he's got he's got trouble coming from all sides. Yeah. And, and you know, the whole movie is a, is a slice of life of these guys who have, uh, you know, been friends yet arch rivals uh, since they were little kids. And. Uh, they have quite a history together, and you find out, you know, a little bit about their backstory throughout the movie. Um, I, I really liked how they don't really, like, lay it out right up front, like, what happened between them. Yeah. You you do have to kind of, like, pay attention and pick it up as you go. And, and uh, you know, there's a whole backstory about their wives, and, and uh, you know, they were... Walter Matthau was in love with Jack Lemmon's wife, and uh, but she turned out not to be. We don't exactly know what happened to their wives. They're n- neither are around anymore. But um, yeah, you know, Jack Lemmon said his wife was not necessarily the the person that Walter Matthau thought she was, and it wasn't as easy to be married to her and live with her. And mm-hmm. and uh, but now she's just gone and has been gone. Yeah, and. Uh, but that's sort of the core of, of at least Mathau's issues with Jack Lemon. Right. Uh, so they've got this new neighbor comes gliding into town, played by, uh, a, 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 excuse me, played by Anne Margaret. Anne Margaret comes in. Anne Margaret, here she is. Just out of nowhere, the beauty, the, this, she's Swedish? Is she, she's Swedish. Something. Right? Well, I mean, she doesn't have an accent in, re- no. in real life. You're talking about, yeah, like she's from Sweden, right? Like, is she, I think like, so. Yeah, she's that model. Like, she was the the the, the biggest hits in the '60s. Like, like oh yeah, the, yeah, one of the hottest Huge. people yeah. around. Uh, absolutely, and uh, so she, you know, her character rolls into town, and you know, is basically looking for uh, a partner, and and is. You know, the competition to win her, you know, her hand uh, begins. And and that's, you know, the the comic timing between these two guys is so great. I love, I love the scenes where they're just, like, in the front of their house and they're bickering with each other and they're being, you know, grumpy old men. <laughs> yeah. The, um, sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, like it's you know they it's it's it like it reignites this thought of like being in high school and seeing like you know the new girl walking in and the two of them are like whether they're enemies or friends they're certainly you know enemies over this new girl you know and it's just right. sort of this 
this classic thing, I don't know if it necessarily works today, but there is that thing. A rivalry comes up even among friends of, you know, an object of desire, you know, comes into your life and it's just sort of like all bets are off. It doesn't matter yeah. who you are, you know, uh, it, 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 you know, we so it, it kind of it resonates with uh, certainly the generation they're kind of like putting this movie toward but i think everyone can kind of understand like when it comes you know in love and war you know all bets are off in a sense um where you know desire and and what uh, what makes the heart go uh this this just kind of resonates with that kind of theme yeah and and it's it's interesting cuz after kind of a little war for her hand uh she goes with Gustafson and he pretty quickly you know rejects her but it's interesting that he does it out of guilt because he you know feels like he stole Max's you know Max's girl and he wasn't going to do it again right yeah like he he doesn't he doesn't go all in but he seems he does seem like like Jack Lemon seems like more the perfect match with her but it's funny because her character comes in. I mean, she moves into, you know, a house that's for sale in the neighborhood, sort of the central home. Um, and she is, I mean, is she, is Anne Margaret, who plays Ariel, uh, is she the first manic pixie dream girl of of cinema? That is, you're not the first person to say that. That's, <laughs> I think that is true. Like, she is, well, and... And Anne Margaret at the time, uh, she's fifty-two in this movie, right? You know, which is this is a classic thing where you know guys, Hollywood men today, are leads in movies, and they're in their fifties, and their their female co-star is late twenties, early thirties. <laughs> like you know, yeah. this is no different than what happens today. Certainly, certainly nothing that was uh, any different back in the nineties. But, you know, she moves in the neighborhood. She makes a ruckus. She's got all these art installations. She's she's driving around on snowmobiles or, or quads and the, on the icy thing. I mean, the setting is a wintry uh, mess in the, the, the Midwest. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole know. the whole all the exteriors are just white. Yeah, it's just white. It's snowy. There's no like it's not even plowed roads. It is yeah. snowy, icy mess. And this woman comes in. She is living her, as they say today, she's living her best life yeah. um, <laughs> uh, here. In and she's and the thing is, she's not just looking for love. She is looking for connection. She is a person. She's meeting all the neighbors. I mean, the idea of like that she is connecting with the two of them is the main story. But the main, but she kind of communicates that like she is just. She's out there for everyone. She wants to get to know everybody. She yeah. understands who people are. But she does seem to have a, a certain affinity for Jack Lemmon, uh, for, for Gustafson, um, that, you know, kind of takes front and center for them, but uh, at the core of the storyline. But she, you know, when we don't see her, we can imagine her out, about, having fun, meeting people, putting flowers in people's hair giggling <laughs> like this is yeah. what she's doing like that's, yeah, totally. that's her life right i mean is it, yeah i don't know is she, is she might like the manic pixie dream girl as a thing in the 90s she might be the first one and she was the oldest one. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah i i'm i'm in agreement with you 
<laughs> but I mean, I'm sure she's not the first like woman who's turning heads because she's so different in cinema. Clearly not. But it ve- it felt very modern in the in that way that the way we're defining you know manic pixie dream girls. So right. This woman who can redeem these men who are stuck in their ways, being shown that life can be different. Um, I'm sure the sh- that's not the first type of character, um, but certainly I think like kind of kicks off the mainstream idea where you know women are are not necessarily put in their their classic roles or um as we understand them uh, yeah in in um, in the United States of America yeah <laughs> anyway. i love uh, one of the things i love about this movie is how ni- how truly 90s it is you know each each decade has their you know certain stylistic choices that you know, really define it to that decade. And this, you know, you wouldn't be a nineties movie if you didn't have an, I'm too sexy montage. (laughs) You gotta have that. You gotta have, I'm too sexy. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta, you know, as soon as she comes around and she shows interest in our main characters, like you gotta do the, I'm too sexy. And, and uh, where they're, they're either getting ready to go out with her or, um, you know, post-coital. Right. Which is where we find Jack Lemon with it, so. Do they definitely, is there a coitus in this? Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they sleep together. Okay. Like once, That's right. Because she dates, she dates Ozzie Davis, yeah. and then his character, uh, unfortunately, spoiler alert, passes away. Passes away. Yeah. Uh, and then she moves on to Walter Matthau, and, and she's going on dates with him, and uh, he is definitely like in love with her, um, and you don't really know if she's reciprocating or not. But she's spending time with him, and then suddenly she just uh, you know appears and almost very forcefully um, with with Jack Lemon's character, and and uh, yeah, they go upstairs to his bedroom and they sleep together. Oh, that's and then right, the, that's right. the next morning he's like running around the house with the "I'm too sexy" stuff. Uh, that's right. That's right. That's right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, he does the Home Alone reference. So yeah, well, classic, you know, classic, very nineties. Yes, we should I, bring that back. I think in in our movies that we're producing right now for our twenty twenty slate, mm-hmm. uh, we should bring back the uh, you know slap in the cheeks and the ah, you know, it's a classic. Everyone yeah. loves it. Uh, every movie should have it. <laughs> you should, yeah, it should be worked into every movie without question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I, if I am to understand it, uh, that take we saw is it's sort of a bad take in terms of the way they saw it is he would slap his cheeks, put his hand, arms down, and then scream because it burns. But he just right. left his hands because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. <laughs> he wouldn't know. Yeah, you're talking about Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin in the original. Yeah. <laughs> in the original yeah. Home Alone, yeah. That is correct, sir. Okay, I think uh, is that from the movies that made us thing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's that where I heard that. Is that least. where I learned that? Yeah, I think that's yeah. where I learned it. That's funny. I think because it, you know, aftershave burns. We know this, but who would you really leave your hands on your head? Who? Uh, yeah. I don't. I guess you wouldn't. But, but yeah, yeah. Walter Matthau, I think, does the the reference there. Is that him? No, the Jack Lemmon. Does. Oh, Jack Lemmon. Does. Yeah. It's funny. The '90s were about fun, <laughs> fun well, you silliness. Got, you, you got Lemon doing that, and you got Mathow in the bathtub. That's right. Yeah, 
God bless him. Like, good, good for him. He, he went for it. Yeah, he really did. But they're all getting ready for their dates and uh, getting, yeah, getting. Yeah. Uh, they're really, at least they're putting in some effort for her. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I love how, I love how, like, straightforward the story is. It's not overly complicated. It's nice. And, you know, I, I think the 90s were good about that, about keeping, you know, the the, the successful movies that, we're just didn't do too much story. It's like you get your backstory or you get enough of it and you have a clear line of like what's going on here and it's not overloaded with characters and, and things make sense in the world of the movie. Yeah. Um, Whereas now you, you know, people are trying too hard. Well, I mean, you want to give, you want to give your characters on screen a little more depth and uh, whether or not that works is, is another story, but I feel like it's, it's um, it's a challenge to like create something that uh, gets people interested. So you're gonna want to like put a little more into it and a little more history, a little more backstory. So I get the intention. I think you know that kind of at least that's something to to make the, to engage the audience, something relatable. Whereas you know these guys, they're I mean because it's these guys. It all just works because we understand their rivalry without having to know more. And then it slowly reveals itself and it works. But I mean, I understand like trying to like get at the outset, like, Hey, here's how these relationships were established and here's the problem. And yeah, because we're quick to judge. We're quick to judge the the people we see on screen as, well, he's just nasty or he's mean or why they, (laughs) you know, the first time we see Walter Matthau is when uh, Jack Lemmon is escaping from Buck Henry uh, and he just says, hey there, dickhead. Like, yeah. and that's, and that's, <laughs> that's the, the stuff I love. I that, love them doing that with each other. And that's like, I think that's the nastiest thing he says because they, they call each other moron and, and I forget the two names they have for each other. But he, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't call him a dickhead anywhere else in the movie. But it, I, you can tell that that was certainly just one of many takes of them like meeting up for the very first time. So the very first time you see them together, he just says something so nasty to him. Like, and it's just so weird coming out of this old man's voice, you know? Yeah. Like, um, but that's more of a classic, that's more of a classic insult of that generation anyway. So it's just funny that, uh, you get to see that just sort of come out. I don't, th- I, 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 if I was willing to bet, I don't think that was in the script necessarily. Um, uh, maybe not that exact line. I'm sure something was there. So, no, no, certainly some sort of insult. But I feel like because of what we saw in the blooper reel where they're just sort of playing a lot, it's just sort of what works if you do like five takes of something and right. you're having fun. You know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe there was like maybe it was something nastier. Even. <laughs> but it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it, it was a very funny off-putting line. I love that. Yeah. Um, but I did, you know, that be, everything being said about the things we loved about this movie, there were some things that I, you know, that don't age well. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and I think they're pretty obvious, and it mostly circles around Anne Margaret's character, Ariel Truex, and and Burgess Meredith. Yeah, yeah, it's it's of it's of the generation of the people who are performing it. It's of the the times that they're kind of reflecting. Uh, we, we talk about this a lot on a lot of our shows, just in terms of what kind of works in a modern era. Does, you know, there's certain right. language, uh, ideals, uh, insults, particular words. Um, 
yeah, that just don't really work, that don't really reflect a sort of a healthy kind of uh, dynamic between the characters. Yeah. Um, well, but, and like w- with her character, you know, the movie is written and directed and mostly starring guys. And yeah, dudes. You know, she is this kind of a little bit ridiculous character who just floats into town and, <clears throat> you know, seems to have nothing better to do than meddle with, um, you know, in their lives and become a, like, uh, only a love interest. I mean, we know very little about her character. Yeah. And she's, I don't know, almost not treated like a person, you know, it's more of an object. Yeah, they give her, you know, they give her credentials. She's like a, she's either an English, she's an English teacher at the university yeah. or something like that. So she's smart. There's, she's established as smart, sort of worldly, um, you know, bigger than the small town that she's moved into kind of thing. So yeah, like she's bringing something that is foreign to these guys into their world. Um, but like, we don't know what motivates her really. I mean, it just her sense, you know having a sense of adventure isn't really a motivation, <laughs> you know, right. it's cool. It's cool. She has one. Like she wants yeah. to get to know people, but like, is that like what a person is, you know, like, Oh, well I love her. She just has a sense of adventure. Like yeah. we, you know, we don't know anything that makes her sad other than the men who make her sad or yeah. all of that. You know, I think, she, I mean, she mentions having a husband who died and yeah, I'm sure that's, and I think, the ages of the characters we're talking about, this is a reality where, you know, there's people who are in their lives for a very long time and they pass away, this and that. Um, again, her character's in her 50s. She looks way younger than both of these guys. Yeah. No matter what age, you know, she's supposed to be. Um, which is, what, 20, 26 and... Oh, no, I'm sorry. 16 and 21 years difference between between the other two, Um, which isn't too bad. It doesn't really matter at that age anyway, but, yeah, I don't know if it it doesn't really work uh, today, but I don't think it's as uh, it's it's it seems almost pretty harmless uh, compared to some stuff you might see of that generation. It's like, why would she I mean, she seems very her character seems very worldly and. Uh, you know, just why would she just throw herself at Jack Lemon like that? I mean, Jack Lemon's a charming guy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's not like outgoing at all. He's not, you know, she like is very aggressively pursuing him. Yeah. yeah and it just, right. it doesn't really add up, you know. Um, but it's just to serve the purpose of the story. That's all. It's just to move it, keep moving it along. Yeah, she's attracted to Jack Lemon because the writers say it's she's attracted to Jack Lemon. <laughs> right. But it, I mean, again, she like we don't see a lot of her, and then you know the two of them see that she was dated. She dated Aussie Davis, like probably slept with him. You know, like had a relationship. Just like, I mean, I, I kind of get the idea of her. Um, I don't know if it it's fair to her as a a female character, but. I get the idea of like men who aren't, you know, um, who aren't taking the time to get to know somebody uh, and have an idealism about them, about these these women, um, and then see their actions as sort of like incongruent with like their own desires. It's like, well, wait, I thought she, I thought she liked me. Why is she dating anybody else? And like, wait, I thought, well, okay, I can maybe accept her 
uh, being interested in my rival, but like who, like what she's with the fisher, the fishing guy, like the fishing yeah. bait guy. Like <laughs> she has a life outside of my concern for her. So at least there's something there where at least there's a, a, a touch of, she's not just there. And then she just creates a rift between the two men. If you, if you spend another 20 minutes in the movie, just dealing with her, you could have seen her interacting with the entire town and neighborhood. Right. And at least establish her as someone who, I don't know, is is if she's supposed to be this special to the two of them, maybe she's that special to a lot of people. Right. Um, so that's a failure. And, and I, I mean, it, there's only so much room you could put in the script anyway. So uh, and this and at this core of it, the story's about these two men and their perspectives and like what their children um, sort of try to help them see. And yeah, it's not fair to Anne Margaret's character. Um at the same time, uh, it, it, it kind of it it still kind of works, but it is she, she deserves more. Um, she deserves more for sure. Yeah. I agree with yeah. that. She deserves more. But in terms of what the story is trying to tell, very simplistically, um, it kind of works. Uh, but you know where we're yeah. at. What interests us? What what makes us want to watch characters that are on the screen? We want more. And, you know, yeah, that's where her character sort of fails. Yeah. And then the other issue is uh, Burgess Meredith and his character. Obviously, they, it was written to be that, you know, that we said earlier, that horny old guy. Yeah. Uh, who is definitely like pinching butts and slapping butts and making, you know, he's uh, <laughs> making comments about, you know, sexual comments. And yeah. that just that just doesn't he does it very well. Yeah, we we love Burgess Meredith, but uh, you can't really do that anymore. Is the pro is the problem with it that it's sexist or because he's so old? <laughs> I think both. <laughs> it's just gross. Also inappropriate. <laughs> old guys can't be sexy. <laughs> what old guys aren't horny? This doesn't happen. <laughs> that that uh, stops. I am done with this. Well, I mean, and generally speaking, it's not. But that that was a source of comedy, right? I think from uh, yeah. that era is just sort of like uh, super old guys, whatever, being talking so uh, lasciviously. Um, it's not really quite something you'd expect. So it is sort of that turn of surprise, it, you know, the the comedy of surprise and the unexpected. Um, yeah. So I get that being played up for jokes. You know, again, in our enlightened era where we are, our wokeness. Uh, we we see that this is not quite uh, quite great, quite good. Um, would I would you ever write this movie this way today? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't put two men in their seventies and and her and their dads or whatever talking this way uh, today for what it reflects, what it is, for as harmful as that could have been for the generation of women they came from. Yes, uh, that's a problem what we're watching is sort of a, a, um, I don't know, an example, but not quite as uh, I wouldn't say it's very harmful. Um, yeah, there's a lot worse, a lot worse, a lot of modern comedy that could be a lot worse. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, this is, this goes back to the thing we always do is acknowledging the problems, but does that mean, this this takes away from the overall uh uh you know quality of the film 
Or at least, you know, does it work against it so much that this is not a movie worth watching or anything like that? Right. I don't. I don't think it is. Well, um, look, I mean, the, con- what you have to remember is it's, it's a, a pro. They're all products of their times. Yeah. And it doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean you should enjoy. You know, if it offends you, you obviously you're you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah. But it was part of. You know, the way it was back then. I mean, and that's like this was viewed as funny back then. Yeah. And that was its intention uh, at heart, I believe. But um, yeah, you just you can't uh, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. I would never I would never begrudge a younger a, a person younger than me who would watch this and say, this is bullshit. I don't like this character. No, I don't like this. I don't like how they talk, talk to her. I don't like that. They don't do anything with her. I don't like this yeah. movie. I'd be like, yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, like totally. Yeah. I can get some enjoyment out of it just from the context of being less woke, <laughs> less, you know, growing up, less understanding of these things, uh, and understanding intention. Um, but you know, intention isn't everything. And <clears throat> like, if I, if I wronged you, John, and I, and you were hurt by it. And if I said, well, I didn't mean to, so I'm not going to apologize for it. That's not quite, that's not helpful. Right. Like I still hurt you. Right. right? So right, right. regardless of my intention, I still hurt you. So yeah. for that, I should apologize because I should yeah. care. I should care about your feelings. Um, so there's a difference between like that, you know, like in- intention and the result. And, you know, it, and that's the difference between the generations. And, yeah, if there's a younger generation that says, yeah, this isn't for me. I don't like this. I, I'd say, yeah, no, there's I get that, that this there's many uh, entertainment options for you about relationships between men and women that you can play with and have fun with and isn't going to offend your sensibilities or, um, you know, just get get underneath your skin. So um, for this, I can I can live with those things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think because there's a lot more going on than just those things in this movie that are funny, enjoyable, a lot of great character work. Um, Daryl Hannah and uh, and Pollock and being in it uh, just to offer a little like little B story or C story, really. Yeah. Uh, to the whole thing that like, kind of colors it in a nice way. I'd actually would have loved to have seen a little just a little bit more from them, but. It's cool, like they have this little subplot that goes on, and it's fun, and it's uh, I don't know the, well, yeah, you get you get plenty more in the sequel. So, well, then I'm 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 on board. I got to rent this thing. I got to get it there. <laughs> do, you, do you own it? Can I borrow it? What's going? I do on? not own it. I do yeah. not own it. One of the few. But you have you have literally you told me you have, um, twenty five thousand. Uh, movies in your library, and you don't That's own grumpy true. old mi- grumpy old men. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> That's insane to me. <laughs> of all the I films, a, yeah, I know it's a shame. <laughs> you can't win them all. No, no, you you, you mess this up. <laughs> I'll give you five dollars um, a night to rent it. All right, deal. All right, you go buy it. I'll rent it for a week. Make your money back. Uh, okay, so the the movie was filmed in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the surrounding areas, uh, February through April of 1993. Um, it came out on December 25th. Do you know what day that is? That is Christmas Day. 
Christmas Day, 1993. Um, it had a budget of uh, $35 million. Jesus. It had a, a kind of a sl- slow start. It, it, uh, the opening weekend was only about $3.8 million. And but it eventually blew up to worldwide. It made about seventy. Yeah, no, it did really well. It, it, it I think it hung in there for weeks and weeks and weeks. People were just going yeah. to see it when they could. Yeah. It was kind of a slow roll. So yeah, that's fun. Uh, it ends up uh, as number fifteen of nineteen ninety three, sandwiched between Groundhog Day, which we covered here on Reconcinimation back in year one. Yes. Uh, check that out at www.reconcinimation.com. And Cool Runnings. Ooh, yeah. Classic. Yeah. The Candy Classic. Yeah, the Candy Classic. So, yeah, it's pretty high up there. I mean, that was a big year. That was uh, the year of Jurassic Park, of course. So mm-hmm. that was the dominant movie that year. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you... What do you uh, so it's a financially very successful... It was, uh, I think it was, you know, good for Lemon and Matthau's careers and brought them back to in the spotlight again for, for the first time in a while. And yeah. especially Jack and, well, yeah, both of them had been playing a lot of supporting roles. So sure, it was, uh, yeah, very good for them. But I think the, the legacy of this movie is going to be, you know, it's a fond remembrance of their careers and... You know, one last, it's like one last gunfight, you know? It's like one last really good uh, performance, you know? Yeah, for sure, yeah. No, this is like like that, the generation who loved them growing up or, you know, in that modern era for them, you know, to see them together again, I think they, they got they got their money's worth with this one. Like, this was something yeah. that, that works, and uh, it was a classic. Uh, it was an instant classic, I think. Um, like, yeah. It's fun for me as someone from that from a younger generation who, you know, would not really know or or have anything to do with that, and to to sort of have a an eye into it in a modern setting. It was it was it's a treat, you know, to have them both together. Um, you know, you could always watch their older stuff or all that, but like this was a movie that was made when I reasonably could have gone to the film and and seen it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it really is like their last last great project because while they would do uh i guess they would do four more things after this together in Mm -hmm. a very short period of time you know they spent all that time apart and doing their individual careers uh here at the end it's like they're almost only teaming together again so they do grumpy old men in 93 grumpier old men in 95 the grass harp in uh in 1996 out to sea in 97 and then uh odd couple two i want to say was 99 or 2000 oh that's right that's right oh wow right before right before math well they both died i think right in 2000 well yeah math passed away math passed away in uh i think june 2000 and and lemon was uh about a year later july of 2001 yeah they, they neither of them unfortunately god bless them never got to see 9-11 happen and you know that's you know we're happy for that uh but yeah no i mean they lived a, a long time died close within uh yeah within that one year of each other yeah um and having been uh uh this team that you know that really is i probably like more of the like you said we were we were mentioning these duos like this is certainly one of the top comedy duos 
But probably not the first mention, right? I mean, probably not the top four. I mean, no, they'd be their top ten. But yeah, yeah, probably you know at number five or something. So. Yeah, I mean, it, but so it was a treat to to go for us that what fits our show and what were the, the films we're trying to watch, and certainly within the '90s Winter Wonderland. Oh, yeah. uh, to have them together for this, I mean, what a treat! I was, yeah, I, I was, this was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, well, within the time frame of our show, yeah, like this is the this is the movie to to talk about, and you know, as we did, we can kind of recap all the the first half of their career as well. So yeah, yeah, but we'll have we'll have I'm sure we'll have I mean definitely we're gonna have Jack Lemon on on this show again many times over for sure. Walter Matthau probably not quite as much, but definitely there's others that he'll be uh, we'll we'll have to discuss. So. Uh- Absolutely. And I mean, if you want, we could spin off the show and you and I can do the Recon Cinema Odd Couple TV series podcast yeah. with uh, Randall Starring you and, and Klugman. Me. You and me. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> well, that would be funny if I had to move in <laughs> with you. Um, but, uh, you know, we, if we, if we want to go all five seasons of the Odd Couple TV series, you just let me know. I will oh, fire yeah, it up. Yeah. You can yeah. fire it up. It's available now to buy on Amazon streaming. You can't stream it anywhere else. But listen, I'm ready to do it. <laughs> we'll do one episode a month, and uh, that'll carry us till we die. <laughs> You're right. You're right. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look, we've got a we've got a brand new uh, announcement here. We've got a new rating system that That's right. uh, we just. Uh, are installing in this very episode. So yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you, you know, what would you rank this? How how many? Uh, we're gonna call, let's call them Jack Burtons. The, the 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 Jack Burtons is the rating system. Yeah, the Jack Burtons. How many Jack Burtons do you give it out of uh, <clears throat> out of five? Out of five. You want to do five or you want to do ten? Uh. Ooh. Ooh, it's so granular when you get to 10. All right, um, you know what? Let's make it an even 13. <laughs> if it's a th- if it's 13, yeah. I'm going to give this uh, an 8.7 Jack Burtons. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to go I'm going to go right with you. I'm going to go 8. 8.16. Perfect. Jack Burtons. This gets <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's out of 13, uh, out of 13. Remember out of 13. <laughs> if I was going to say five, I'd say like a 3.5, but yeah, this is, <laughs> this is out of a 13. This is like an 8.7 for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's a few things that don't work in the movie overall. If you like these guys, you really, you really should see it. It's, it's fun and they're fun. Their banter is so funny together. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, there's so there's so much love and and understanding between the two, um, that you that just comes through no matter what. Like these guys understand each other, they love each other, uh, as actors and as performers and as the characters they're playing. So it's just boy, what a what a treat, you know, to 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 witness it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's and no movie is flawless, and uh, this one ex- far exceeds any flaws that we see. Yeah in it so and uh yeah definitely worth a look for sure for sure and uh you know what it's now been reconcinemized yeah hashtag yeah. reconcinemized we did it we did it baby <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, yeah, no, you know, make sure you guys uh, check us out on social media. Hit us up on uh, on the Twitter and the Instagram and Facebook. We're at Reconcinimation Podcast. We'll, uh, you know, we post things to to for you to vote on and little happy birthday things and yeah, and uh, you know, we try to post some cool articles about the movies we're covering and and give us a give us a follow and and don't forget to uh, check us out on on. Uh, iTunes, can you still do that? I don't know if that exists anymore, but yeah, Apple Music. I don't know. Is that Apple Music and give us a, a star rating, five stars, and a little review. That would be fantastic and helps boost the show. Yeah. And uh, thank you, as always, to our friends, uh, Curtis Moore, for the poster. That's always fun for those yeah. photo shoots. Uh, and E.K. Wimmer, who uh, does our music and has his own podcast, uh, called Laser Graves, which is a super amount uh, of fun. So, so check that out. But yeah. uh, we will be back in a couple weeks. We're going to wrap up our 90s winter wonderland with with an interesting movie. Well, I'm not going to say what it is, but uh, it's not a, like a household name. So mm-hmm. um, interesting to uh, take a look back at it and see what we think. Yeah. Well, we hope you, you will see you there at that episode. And uh been a lot of fun talking to uh, 90s winter wonderland oof what a theme i can't 90s wait to see the best can't, oh the, <laughs> the 90s were the best <laughs> it, it was all it was all happening in the 90s so everything that happened in the 90s was the best things yeah. happening <laughs> and there's no debate about that <laughs> um well great well, man. We're, thank you thank yeah, you we're so gonna much. hop out of here yeah let's get out of here shit <laughs> let's go I'm going to go hop in my, uh, what, Porsche? I don't know. Um, I'm going to hop in my DeLorean. Uh, That's 80s, though. Oh, shit. I'm going to hop in my Hummer. <laughs> or how about, like a, how about a Subaru Outback? We'll hop in the Subaru Outback, you know, pop the top down, and uh, get out of here. Wait, well, did I bring the Jetta, or did I bring this, my Saturn? <laughs> I don't know. That's Saturn. That, oh, yeah. Saturn. Yeah, what did I, I think I brought my Saturn. So. I'm going to drive home in that. Hopefully traffic's oh cleared up. Oh, it's so late. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. And uh, I'm going to sign off. Bye now. <laughs>